Have you ever heard a life-changing talk that didn't change your life? One of the best ways to carry the momentum forward is by sharing the graces with friends. Join us as we share the graces we received at this past week's Seek 2019 conference presented by Focus. We are joined by Thomas Ripplinger and Ali Slough. Welcome to A Word from Our Outpost with Joseph and Crystal Gruber, a podcast for Catholic disciples who are wrestling to be missionary-minded in their normal, everyday lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit, teach us to pray, guide our conversation, be with us. And I pray especially in thanksgiving for Ali and Thomas joining us, and I pray that uh, you would enliven our conversation. We ask all these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So... We have people with us this time. We do. We don't often have people with us yet. Truth. Truth. Should we let them introduce themselves? Yeah. Would you please, yeah. Allie, tell us, introduce yourselves? Go for for sure. I'm Allie Slough. I'm your friend. <laughs> <laughs> Praise that Lord. Um, I, was... I grew up in Jackson, Michigan. I'm a parishioner of uh, the parish where you serve, St. John the Evangelist. And um, in high school, uh, I felt the call to be a missionary, but I said no. But then the Lord asked me again later on in college, and I said yes. So now I'm a focused missionary, and I am uh, placed at Michigan Technological University, where I met this guy. My name is Thomas Ripplinger, and I am happily engaged to Allie here, and um, also hopefully a friend of the Gruber's <laughs> here. I hope so, too. Um, <laughs> And I'm a missionary at Michigan Tech, and yeah, here to do my first co-podcast. <laughs> Excellent. So in our last podcast, we mentioned we were going to go to this conference called SEEK, where there were going to be some something in the ballpark of 17,000 people, mostly college students. And we went, and we're still alive. We made it. <laughs> All three kids are still alive. I haven't checked on them recently, but... <laughs> we think they made it. <laughs> they did great. They're champions. Mm -hmm. And we even got to go to talks. And we had uh, so many wonderful interactions there. Um, there, there. Some people say there, there's this odd statement that I don't think is true. They say, you know, the Catholic world, you know, isn't the Catholic world so small? Or or how, how do they put it? Mm-hmm. That's what I yeah. heard. Yeah. Something like that. And I, I'm like, no, it's either, it's actually rather large, but it is intimate uh, when you step into it really and truly. There is an intimacy in the Catholic world. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying there isn't an intimacy in other worlds, other universes. I don't know. <laughs> but mm -hmm. there, there is an intimacy there. Uh, and that was something that was experienced. But we wanted to talk a little bit about each person's takeaways from the conference because there were so many different talks, so many different interactions, people to see. Um, and we realized that my big takeaway is sort of related to my relationship with the father and Allie's. Are, are you kidding me? Are you actually giving a schema to the podcast? No, I'm not giving a schema. <laughs> I'm just giving bullet points. No, 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 no. Okay, We're fine. just saying each one of us is sharing something. Okay. And then that something, if, if listeners want to say, I know looking back on it, <laughs> I know don't, don't give it away. <laughs> Allie and I think it exists. Thomas and Joseph are skeptical. 
So shall so, I begin? Sure. What was your so biggest takeaway? So my biggest takeaway, um, I found that there was sort of a common thread throughout the conference in relating to what is your purpose and um, what were you made for? And this reminder that you know, were each unique and, and unrepeatable mysteries um, and that the, the Heavenly Father you know, he knew us before we were formed in the womb and we were created for a purpose that nobody else can accomplish. Um, and I think all these things for me sort of culminated in Jennifer Fulweiler's talk. Um, and I'm also a big fan of her book, One Beautiful Dream, and have been inspired by these same ideas in that where she talks about the blue flame as sort of being language for that that purpose. And, um, and, and I think I've recently been feeling inspired about some of the more longer term, bigger picture ideas and purpose for my life. But she made a comment about even, you know, even if you don't know what that is, or even if you do, what is the Lord asking of you today or this week? And, and thinking about that for me, I think has been, feels really practical in terms of a take home point from the whole conference, but also is really exciting and life-giving to be reminded that, um, you know, there's a contribution that I have to make to the world that, that matters and that, that nobody else can make. Um, and, and I also think that that is helping me to think about in prayer, drawing into my relationship with the father, since he's the one that gave that to me. So, and I, I think, uh, so, so the fact that you do have a purpose in this world that only you can accomplish, um, how does that square with the like the the tendency to fear that pursuing this blue flame, pursuing this idea, this passion, this dream, uh, could be selfish? Right? Isn't that isn't that one of those things that yeah, people might struggle with? That's the thing that I struggle with a whole lot. You ask the hard questions. Um, yeah, I. I that's absolutely something that I've struggled with. And I think it's something that's been holding me back, especially since having children feeling like, Oh, well, if I go and pursue this passion and this, this dream that that's going to take away from what I have to offer for my children. And, and I feel like Jennifer really kicked the devil in the face on that one. And this reminder that actually when a mother can pursue her dreams, it actually inspires and enlivens her children and her husband to pursue their dreams as well. And so I think that I certainly need to pray with this a lot more, but I think that I was really inspired by um, this idea of sort of the, the garden for dreams. And we've talked about before, if we all have these blue flames in a family, they become the hearth fire. So how do we build this, this hearth fire for our family? Right. Because that seems to be, uh, a really important piece is that it's not your flame existing in a vacuum because mm-hmm. flames actually can't exist in a vacuum. There actually has to be fuel. There has yeah. to be oxygen. I was going to remind you that the lack of oxygen made the flame in the vacuum thing not not so practical. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think that's what some people think. Like I have this passion and it's way over there, out in outer space, and to actually bring it into context and actually say. Here are the people around me. Here are my resources right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what will it be burning, and and what will it be uh, alongside? Like, will it be adding to anybody else's flame? Mm-hmm. And the fact that you're in a family to say, does this actually correspond with anything in? Oh, I don't know. Your husband, <laughs> um, who you know, whether for good or ill, actually for good and ill, as I recall. Um, you're stuck with me. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. And I and think that's the piece because it, it means that your dream has to be brought out into the open and has to collide with me and my dreams. And mm-hmm. that's uh, terrifying but, and exciting and wonderful and all the things. Right. Any thoughts from you guys on this blue flame mm-hmm. idea that she was talking about? Yeah, I just, I'm thinking back to my own childhood and I had no idea even what like a passion was. Like something that I was, like I don't know if I knew anyone close to me that had this idea of a blue flame. Obviously not the language, but at least like the actuality of it, the a passion that it drove for a mission in life. Um, and it wasn't until much later in college where I actually saw people who were driven and had um, either a particular gift or a passion for something that they were willing to live out of. Mm-hmm. And I just imagining how beautiful that would be to see not only a mother and father living this out, but their children and like how how would that like foster how would that be fostered in your children? Like how would you encourage or how do you foresee yourself encouraging your children to to find that passion. Can you come back in like six months to a year? <laughs> Can you come back in like a decade, decade and a half? Um, because I mean, we're we're sort of new at this. Yeah, I don't think we the, know yet. The kids didn't come with very many instruction manuals. Yeah, I I would say, I especially mean, Gisella. I'm I'm trying to learn to pay attention to where I see their eyes light up. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like what, where do they really get excited and then just be encouraging? Yeah. But I feel like I have so much to learn about that. Currently our youngest, his eyes light up when he approaches electrical outlets. (laughs) (laughs) I don't encourage that. His hair stands up as well. Well, when he gets close enough, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. It was interesting because I think that's what my parents did for me. Like I was very interested in music from a a young age and when I was in third grade they took me to a piano teacher and after the first lessons were difficult because it was something new I was like I want to give this up but my dad said give it one year and then Mm -hmm. we'll come back to that and I ended up taking lessons until I was a 12th grader Mm -hmm. and piano is one of the the biggest sources of, of leisure for me of consolation when I'm angry or frustrated or impatient i just go play piano and does that mean you're going to play for us before you leave (laughs) maybe (laughs) i could (laughs) awesome yeah that's great and maybe this is a good point to also come out and say like for some people just the very act of raising a good family is their blue flame Mm. right yes and and i think that you know, Jennifer Fulweiler talks about this in her book because that throws her for a loop because some women seem to be so uh, enlivened by ordinary uh, life. life By getting their kids dressed and even, yeah, yeah I, and, I know women that love those things. Mm-hmm. And um, when she discovered that that was their blue flame, um I know when I discover that about my friends, oh, that's actually your blue flame. I feel like less of a terrible woman. It's like, oh, I'm not failing. That's just your thing. Mm-hmm. And then I realize too that they admire me for my thing, and and we can come to terms with that, which is beautiful. And oh, go ahead. Well, I'm going to transition. Well, I was going to say that there. I mean, 
this is kind of the unique thing about dreams that there is a plasticity to them mm. right like they they do have to conform to reality if you want them to exist yes and to say um how can i have this conversation with the people in my life about my dream and how can it be a reality you know mm-hmm. i i wanted to study theology i didn't want to go into well you didn't want me to go into debt doing it um i didn't want to leave uh the job that i was doing at the time and so we said well this is not an ideal way, but this is a way to get uh, further study in theology. And I got an online degree where I'm in the process of getting an online degree. Um, so does that mean that my dream for uh, more academic uh, education is now complete? Probably not. Or that that has to be the shape of it in the future? No. But at the time, mm-hmm. you know, the way that, that my dream could take shape was... Uh, doing an online degree. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that this is where Allie's take-home point from SEEK becomes really interesting because facing that reality is most fully brought to life when we're face-to-face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Allie, take home. Do you want to share your take-home? Yeah, so throughout SEEK, many of the different speakers were talking about the gaze of Jesus. So something that I immediately thought of, um, even before they got into talking about this, is um, a reflection that I heard in May about how Jesus, he gazes upon the apostles before he calls them, and he he looks at them, says he looked at them um, in various different verses. And um, even, I think the most powerful one for me was when um, Peter denies Jesus three times, and then Jesus looks at him. Mm. And the homilist who I was listening to, he said the difference between Judas and Peter is that Peter received the gaze. Mm. And the gaze was of forgiveness and of peace and of love. And um, Jesus's gaze has been a huge part of my spiritual life, um, my life the past really like year and a half, I'd say. Um, just really prompted in prayer to look at Jesus in the eyes and um, find the intimacy there with him. Um, And I think as the speakers were talking about it, they were saying that that gaze is is how we find, like, who we are, which Mm -hmm. relates back to crystals. Like, we find our purpose within that gaze. And um, then on Saturday, when we had time to be with Jesus and to look at him in the monstrance during adoration... I uh, was taken back by Jesus in, in the gift of memory, um, back to the times when when he's looked upon me, when he's shared with me who I am, um, shared with me, like, that he desired for me to be a vessel of peace and joy, and, like, how that has played out in the past four or five years, really, since I allowed him to look at me in that way and allowed myself to look at him. Mm. in that way um and how that's really like influenced so many of the things that have happened to me what he desired to happen to me um like becoming a missionary um growing so intimately with him myself is to be able to share him with the students who thomas and i work with and then also to accept you know the gaze of a human who really loves me like being engaged um (coughs) I think that level of vulnerability was something that Jesus, he taught me and, and 
that has been a real, really big game changer for me, um, allowing myself to be like as open and honest and raw <laughs> with Thomas as I have been um, since we've met. I think one of the awesome things about this is there's a the line in one of the opening paragraphs of the Catechism that at all times and in every place, mm-hmm. God draws close to man. Yeah. And it, I think the first time that I ever read that, I was like, well, that's like a throwaway truism. You know, God is yeah. in all places, you know, he's omnipresent. So, you know, pretty it up any way you want. Catechism doesn't really mean much to me, uh, which said a lot about, you know, my uh, <laughs> frame of mind <laughs> back in the day. But what I love is that um, you you your time at Seek and your time over the years has been experientially living out Mm -hmm. the truth of that statement that God draws close to you Mm -hmm. at all times and in every place. There is no time and no place in which Allie Slough is not uh, being approached by God, Mm -hmm. that Jesus is not drawing close to you. Yeah. And I think especially I've noticed like, and I think this is the paradox of our faith, like especially in the suffering, like, in the times when I felt that things weren't going ideally in my life, um, he's been there and, and like, he's never turned away. Like he's never turned his head away from me. Like he's just like remained looking at me and I'm like, why, like, why are you still here? Like, I don't want to be here, (laughs) but he still is. And Mm. that's given me a lot of courage and, and really boldness to see how, like bold he is and he's like I'm not going anywhere and I'm like okay then I guess I won't either (laughs) yeah well this is the you know St. Augustine says you're closer to me than I am to myself yeah and I again when I first read that I thought it was like a throwaway line because again I was approaching it very much intellectually Mm -hmm. it's like no St. Augustine didn't want to be himself yeah. At various points. I don't yeah. want to be myself at various points. Mm-hmm. I want to look away. I want yeah. to be, not be there. Mm-hmm. And the one who is more present to all of that is our Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. And it really deepens just in the sense like this gaze is not just like passing. Oh, there he is. There's Jesus. He's there too. Every time I go to pray, every time I call on his name. But every... Every gaze is an opportunity for an encounter. Mm-hmm. Like that encounter, while it's the same and eternal, because of our our varied states, our our need for him in different ways, always greater need for him. Like it's always new, mm-hmm. and just from talking to you in separate occasions, like talked about, like Jesus is like constant. Like his gaze is full. It's simple, but it's always constant. Be it always new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like how you mentioned to Allie, like him being there, even when you don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. I think during conference, I had several conversations where I was talking with people about the suffering that we've endured in the last year and, and how when we talk about, you know, what does it mean to enter into suffering with Jesus? And it's not that, that God like is giving us suffering. Like he thinks like the suffering in and of self isn't a good thing. Isn't a thing Mm -hmm from the lord the lord allows it but like he's there in it Mm -hmm. with us like he's done it also um and and so 
I think I have been confused of thinking like, oh, like suffering is like this thing that draws us closer to God. Therefore, suffering is good. It's like, no, like Mm -hmm. the suffering isn't the good. The good is being with our Lord who, like you were saying, like is there locked in eyeball to eyeball with us, like not willing Mm -hmm. to leave until we've seen it through. Like he's the resurrection. Mm -hmm. Getting to the resurrection is Mm-hmm. is the aim and, and we can do that when we're mm-hmm. locked into his gaze so, so were there any other questions or comments for uh, i mean i i don't want to say that one of the keynote speakers spoiled the end of a book in order to talk <laughs> about this point but she did <laughs> but it, it was a beautiful talk um uh I, I don't know if this is one of the places where you you felt this thread of the gaze of jesus and Sister um, Miriam. Sister Miriam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was her last name? I don't know. Salt. James. She's, Sister yeah. Miriam James. It's like Heidelbrand. Heidkamp. Something. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the talks that we're referencing can be found live streamed. Uh, I guess they're no longer. Are they dead streamed now? The video. They're recorded. Are recorded. They are on Facebook. If Focus. you look up Fellowship of yeah. Catholic University Students, if you go to seek2019.com. I think they're, on um, they're on YouTube. They're on YouTube. Yeah. So Sister Miriam talked about how um, we actually need to become who we are in order to return mm-hmm. that gaze. Mm-hmm. It's like the you know Jesus is Himself. Mm-hmm. He is who He is. He is being. Yeah. And we're not. Yeah. You know we're we're becoming. And and part of looking at Jesus is that as we look at Him, we become who we are. Mm-hmm. So as we turn our gaze to him, we become people who can look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when we turn our gaze away from him, it's not that we become people who can gaze at other things. We become less of people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't think she said any of those words, but this is what I took from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is, I don't, this is completely a throw, like toss-up. I really don't know where this can take it or it could be a complete tangent, but... Um, I think it was last year, like a little over a year ago, I finished reading um, part two of Jesus of Nazareth by um, Pope Benedict. I think he wrote it when he was still a cardinal. No, no I think he, he had notes for the Jesus of Nazareth books. Okay. He published them when he was Pope Benedict, I believe. Okay. But um, this uh, phrase that he uses to, in a sense, describe, I wouldn't say define Jesus, but describe Jesus um that it kind of confounded me, but also in what you said about, um, like, through the gaze, being able to become yourself. Like, he described Jesus as being for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he mm. talks about that in several works. Mm-hmm. Um, Introduction to Christianity, which I really mm-hmm. recommend to everybody. It is a bit of a slog, but it's so worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, yeah, the being for. Yeah, in the very sense, like, he is himself so that we can be who we are called to be. Mm-hmm. Mm. So good. And one of the things that helps us be who we are is relationship with the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. Yes, I see the transition there. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, would you like to talk more about that, Thomas? Absolutely. Scheming. <laughs> Scheming. We were skeptical, but it's being imposed on us. <laughs> Order imposed from without. <laughs> just from just from me. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I guess to lead into this, I came into this talk 
slightly skeptical. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> well, let me explain myself. <laughs> Not by nature, but by association. Um, so, Father Matthias. 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 Mm-hmm. What's his last name? Thalen. Thalen, mm-hmm. who's a priest of the Diocese of Lansing, has been um, doing incredible ministry with um, this encounter ministries, I believe it's called. Um, doing a lot of preaching and um, prayer and healing, really, um, is a gift that he has. And I had had touch encounters with similar type ministries of um, not the same exactly, but about the Holy Spirit was their focus and was off-put many times by the lack of precision in the way they talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, the way they talked about the gifts, um, and yeah, I was just not sure what to expect. So I went in to the talk and I encountered this man who is fully alive for Christ, who is living out his priesthood beautifully. And I talked very powerfully about the person of the Holy Spirit. And part of his uh, challenge, his kind of thesis at the end of it was like, why don't we ask our Lord Jesus to receive the Holy Spirit in a more full and more complete way, to receive him and his power, but more importantly, him. And um, it's really changed a lot about my prayer the past couple days. And I didn't realize how much an impact it had on me until I found myself coming to that point in my holy hours and my prayer the next few days, uh, more so than really anything else from the conference. So, yeah, I just, it was really beautiful to me. And it's actually changed fairly dramatically my prayer the past few days. Yeah, how would you say that we receive more of the Holy Spirit. How does that, yeah, what does that What does that mean? In the very basic sense, he's a gift we um, are being offered. We have received in some portion in our baptism and in confirmation, but um, because of our hardness of heart, because of our um, unwillingness or lack of trust, we don't allow him to work fully in us. And um, this constant work of really be- becoming holy, becoming saints is... Um, to become more entered into life of Trinity, which happens through the Holy Spirit, by his power and by his work. Thomas, you mentioned that going into this talk, you were feeling sort of skeptical because of things that lacked precision that you had heard and seen before. What was different about this one? Where where was there precision where it had been lacking for you in the past that has allowed you to enter into pursuing a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, one of the main things is that... Um, is talking primarily, like the whole purpose was of the third person, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Like that was his goal was to ask people, like, do you ask our Lord for himself? Like, do you ask for the Holy Spirit? Like, and he talked about the the way that the church has been impacted by the working of the Holy Spirit, but particularly in the last uh, century. And yeah, I just had never thought about asking to receive the Lord more fully like that directly that simply is like Jesus I want to receive more of your Holy Spirit like a simple prayer like that is something that never even crossed my mind had happened in prayer personally so Mm -hmm. I think the interesting thing about it is that there's the positive side which is Lord I want more of you but then implicitly in there is remove that which is blocking Mm -hmm. me from receiving you Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Like the the obstacles that I've put up, that the world has put up, that you know, scar tissue in my soul. Mm-hmm. Um, 
address those things. One of them being, like they said, the in the poor um, language, the poor description of what the Holy Spirit, who the Spirit, who Holy Spirit is, and what He can do in your life. Like yeah. that itself became an obstacle to receiving Him. Mm. Yeah, and He mentioned that when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you come to know Jesus as the Lord of your life. So He has the Lord over every aspect of your life, um, which removes obstacles. Um, there were two other things too, yeah. but I can't remember them, but that really stuck out to me. And his detachment from sin was so much greater when he encountered the Holy Spirit that he was like, I don't want any of this nasty stuff that I've been doing anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. What's, yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that sometimes trips people up when they talk about receiving the Holy Spirit is that they make, uh, this kind of fundamental mistake, uh, the distinction that we talked about before we hit record mm-hmm. of uh, wanting, you know, the consolation of God rather than the God of consolation. Yeah, exactly. And saying, you know, I want all the feels, God, or I, I want the gifts, right? Mm-hmm. To say explicitly, you know, Lord, I want this gift, um, which uh, isn't actually the appropriate response, you know. Exactly. You know, the the relationship with God is the the gift. It's the end. It's the yeah. Um, it's the purpose of prayer, right? Like this is something um, that someone uh, perhaps wiser than me said that was lacking in a lot of the talks on prayer is that they didn't talk about the purpose of prayer being union with God, mm-hmm. you know, intimacy with God. Like, that's why we pray. There were talks about how to pray, um, but there wasn't as much attention to why. And, you know, why do we ask for the Holy Spirit? It's not so we become super-powered, magical beings so that we can be united with the one who created us in love. And, And I think when we are united with the one who created us in love, we do receive gifts and we're able to receive them in humility and then use them. And I know where I fa- when I ask for a gift and then I realize I actually have a gift, then I feel sort of selfish using it, which goes to that, oh, it, it would be selfish for me to like invest in my blue flame. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it's, I'm in relationship with God, the Holy Spirit is enlivening me. I'm in intimacy with Jesus's gaze and that's bringing me to life. And yes, there are gifts associated with that. But I'm right. I'm 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 using those things and pursuing that because it makes me holy because and it brings me in ordered, union with God. Right, it's ordered to my sanctification and the sanctification of those around me. Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. purpose of any of these charisms, these gifts, uh, is either for my sanctification. Uh, so these would be like the traditional you know, um, seven gifts of the Holy the Spirit. seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. I was about to rattle them off, and then I was afraid that I would miss one. <laughs> yeah. And so we'll just say the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Easy. Uh, and then the, the other charisms, uh, as they're often called, uh, that are for the sanctification of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but they become rightly ordered when we remain in relationship with God and our relationship deepens. And when we're rightly ordered. Shoot. <laughs> In relationship with God, Uh what do we have, dearest love of my life? Likely, we have my biggest takeaway from the conference. Yes, yes, Uh and that is? Uh Uh, Curtis Martin spoke uh, on Thursday night 
And one of the things he was talking about was having moral authority. He talked about the distinction between authority of office. Um, so I, in my office of uh, a father, I have authority over my children, right? You know, unless something egregious happens, the state is not going to remove my children from me. Um, if I were a police officer, I would have a certain amount of authority by virtue of that office. If I were a bishop, I would have a certain amount of authority and no wife. Um, <laughs> so I'm not a bishop. Don't plan to be a bishop. But I would have authority, right? Be just by virtue of that office. Um, but there is authority that also is created not by office, but by way of life, by witness of life. Um, and it's variously referred to as uh, uh, moral authority or just the ability to give clear witness that is compelling, compelling witness. Um, and he talked about uh, the, the way in which one has moral authority is by asking more of oneself than of others. Mm -hmm. And I think I sometimes uh, will allow myself to sort of renegotiate my standards based around the people around me. You know, if, if everybody else isn't really praying very much, I'll say, well, maybe I shouldn't pray very much either. More than them, maybe. But, mm -hmm. you know, why, why, uh, why try to kick it up too many notches? And it's a sort of compromising that is really not befitting um, reality. Um, either I have standards or I don't. And um, I think, honestly, one of the things that I think led to this sort of compromise is uh, as Catholic missionaries on a college campus for years, we always talked about our dress code. Mm. I don't know if you guys have ever talked about dress code. Mm -hmm. And we always said we always want to dress one notch above the other stu the students. So we look at what the students wear. You know, if they're you know a uh, fancier university, they might be going around in uh, you know, button-down shirts and nice pants. And okay, so we'll we'll wear ties and a blazer. Uh, or if we're going to a campus where they're wearing gym shorts and t-shirts that maybe haven't been laundered, okay, we'll wear jeans and polos, right? Like mm -hmm. what's, maybe jeans and polos are a little bit more than gym shorts and jeans and a t-shirt, jeans and a t-shirt, whatever. <laughs> but like, say we don't want to, to dress so high above what they're doing, but we do want to call them higher mm -hmm. and to realize that actually doesn't apply in the moral life that 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 doesn't actually apply in my spiritual mm -hmm. life that applied for a dress code for mm -hmm. uh, being relatable. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's actually really unique. So in our look for our speakers, um, I was looking at a talk on YouTube, actually, that George Weigel gave to uh, the Denver Support Center for Focus. So, huh. um, the, the people who put on the C conference that we were at, um, they have an office in Denver, and several years ago, when George Weigel came out with his part two of his uh, John Paul II biography, he gave a, a short talk at the, the support center. And he really presented two reasons why he thought John Paul II was so influential over young people. One was that he did not ask them to do anything that he himself did not do. Mm -hmm. Ask them to suffer anything, um, to go out in courage against something difficult to lay down one's life um, either in a real physical danger way or against the threads of the culture 
Um, and then the other half was that he did not pander to young people. He did not expect little of them. He expected them to be able to be great, that they could be saintly as um, young people. They didn't have to be some seasoned, old, holy man, but that they could achieve holiness um, radically in their state of life that they're in right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that lines up very well with what you were talking about with Curtis Martin, saying the moral authority. And you, in your t-shirt example, like it doesn't have to be just like one step above. It can be something of greatness. Well, and, and the the dress code was, I mean, even that we were maybe compromising in a way that maybe we shouldn't have been because we don't really need to talk about clothing too, too much. But there either is something that is more befitting the dignity of the vocation of a student or there isn't. And if there is, we shouldn't say, well, you guys, uh, you're pretty far away from that. So I'll just uh, slide to... Um, well, and I, and I think I often believe this lie of, I mean, it's this tension, right, between the baby steps and that I can't expect myself to be perfect tomorrow. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean that I can't pursue holiness today. And that, that like, I, it's not that sainthood is unattainable before I reach the age of 98. It's that, um if that that it's worth pursuing today and that it matters that I pursue it today and that that ha- that whatever moral authority I already have obtained I shouldn't back off because I'm in a different, a different environment. environment well yeah and he he gave the uh illustration of becoming a thermometer or a thermostat mm-hmm. which is something like he said himself he's been using this image for 20 plus years mm-hmm. and uh I use it too sometimes when I give talks is you know, when I walk into a room, do I take the temperature of the room and conform? Or do I take the temperature of the room and try and, and kick it up to where it ought to be? Mm-hmm. You know, and the cool thing about a thermostat, you know, a furnace, it doesn't have gradations. It's either on or off, mm-hmm. right? And you leave it on until it reaches the temperature in the room that you wanted. And that's the kind of call to perseverance and call to be mm. on, Mm-hmm. until the whole room is where it ought to be. Mm-hmm. And then he did, and this was something that I thought was splendid. He said, and there will be some situations that we walk into, we just need to walk away from. Mm-hmm. Like if we mm-hmm. can't do anything to change the conversation, you know, we walk into uh, the the um, the office and everybody starts complaining, or we walk into the teacher's lounge and everybody's gossiping, and we can't say, hey, you know, that student that you've been complaining about, could we pray for them and cut them off before the gossip gets anywhere? Or before they complain about a boss, can can we can we talk about how to talk to him? You know, if if we can't actually take those steps, you know, and people just say, hey, what do you know? Or uh, to say, it's actually better for me not to be here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know and to, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, you can finish your thought. Oh, I, I, if there was an end, I don't know it. Okay. What I think is really amazing about what you're saying is to actually do that, like to actually have the strength and and the perseverance to live out this moral authority. We need to know who we are in the Father's eyes and what we're made for. Mm-hmm. And we need to be refreshed in the gaze of Jesus. And we need to be receiving the Holy Spirit to be because, able to live moral authority. Because if we're looking for the world to to tell us 
how we ought to be. We are a thermometer, right? And this is, you know, one of the cool images about the life of grace is that it's, it's like when you take uh, a rod of iron and put it into the furnace, it starts to take on the characteristics of the fire around it. Um, and, and we are called to be like that rod and to be plunged into the fire of love and to be transformed by it, to become like it. And so uh, there are these silly YouTube videos about taking a thousand degree uh, metal ball and putting it into a cup of Skittles or a cup of egg or a cup mm-hmm. of... And sometimes when I'm on YouTube, it recommends that I watch this, <laughs> um, which may indicate that uh, it thinks that I'm an idiot, which, you know, fair enough. Um, amazing. Uh, I only watched one and it was not amazing. Oh. And I didn't want to admit that I just watched one. <laughs> Is this like the nickel ball, right? It might be a ball of nickel. I don't remember what metal in particular. But like, because it has been heated, it changes. The... It didn't really do much in the one video. It was like, this was not worth two minutes of my time, even sped up. That's if you're not living speed. life in grace. That's, that's the fail video. The fail video. Yeah. There was a substance that was def- that defeated the hot metal ball. Um but the idea is that we should be able to be plunged into a scenario and have everything change. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's not happening, um, we should probably be running to the Father. We, we should be running and, and, and turning to our Lord and asking for the Holy Spirit to fill us. Yeah. And that's really, like, one of the profound ways that Father Matthias talked about that is that, like, there is no limit to the degree in which the Holy Spirit can be given. Like, we should always be asking Jesus and the Father for a greater part of himself. To be able to, like, say this this red-hot rod isn't enough. Okay, let's get it hotter. Like, Well, and even to remember, too, like, you know, there may not be an upper limit, uh, but the upper limit actually is Mary, right? Mary received the fullness of, of God. Um, and even she would walk into a situation... And not everything would change, but she never changed fundamentally. She always knew who she was. She always knew that she was the daughter of the father, that she was the spouse of the Holy Spirit, and that she was the mother of Jesus, and that her identity was not shakable, you know, in a flight to Egypt. It wasn't shakable in uh, losing uh, her son. It wasn't uh, shakable at the crucifixion. She always knew who she was in light of God's love. Um that didn't always change the externals. There are times when it did, incredibly, like the wedding feast at Cana, right? And wine became abundant. The party extended. And then there were times when her presence uh, didn't seem to make any real difference, um, except that it changed everything, right? Like at the, at the foot of the cross, the beloved disciple received her as a mother, right? Um, so the, the death of Jesus still carried on, but everything changed for the beloved disciple. He received the best mother. Sounds like to... I rambled? No. It sounds like everything does tie together. Dun, dun, dun. As if there was <laughs> a, a schema of sorts. Of sorts. But it tied into Mary. It did. That I thought it would. That was a surprise. No, I, I, I was pretty sure it was going to tie into Mary. Look at that. <laughs> well, should we... Uh, close asking for our lady's intercession then sounds good to me absolutely name the father and the son and the holy spirit amen mother mary uh we ask for your intercession 
we ask um, that you who are so intimately united in the Godhead, that you who have a relationship that is unique and special with, with each person of the Trinity, um, that you would teach our hearts to be more receptive to God, that you would show us um, your Son, and that you, our Mother, uh, might form us more perfectly into his image. Hail Mary, full, full of, of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed, blessed art thou among women, and, and blessed, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. From our outpost to yours, thanks for listening. And a special thanks to John Mark Skoke. That's S-K-O-C-H. For the music. Check him out on Spotify.